turn, hey, sweetheart. <laughs> you turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and you can also hold your place in Mark chapter 6. The sermon outline for this morning is on the back of the bulletin. We take a lot of prayer requests in Sunday school, and we always ask for praise reports uh, also, and we do that on Wednesday evenings. But I have a praise I want to share with you this morning. Uh, it's wonderful that Victoria Gallagher is able to be with us in worship this morning. Victoria was in a... <laughs> Victoria was in a very bad accident uh, about a month or so ago. And she and her dad, Terry, can tell you about the wonderful hand of God being on you during difficult times. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, we continue this morning with our sermon series called Back to School. And I found this nice uh, back to school story that I wanted to share with you. It seems that a 106-year-old Norwegian woman received an offer from local authorities for free bus rides to school where she is supposed to attend the next autumn. Will in, uh, in, um, in Ingeborg Thuen is her name. She was born in 1897 when the Klondike Gold Rush was going strong. She actually started to school just before she turned six in 1903. Computers in the township read the 97 of her birth year as 1997, meaning she would be starting the first grade next autumn. She welcomed the free ride, saying that the last time she started school, she had to walk for an hour every morning. The letter from the township also encouraged Ingeborg's parents to list the children she would like to have in her class. So 106-year-old grandmother invited uh, back to kindergarten. I thought that was a good back-to-school story. Some of you teachers probably already after this first week feel like that 106-year-old grandmother. Amen? We're, we continue with our sermon series, Back to School. We're in Proverbs chapter 3. We'll look at verse 13 here in just a moment. But we're continuing to look at the wisdom of Solomon and how he helped build a foundation for a solid life if we would follow the instructions that he leaves there as Christians 4,000 years later. Now, Solomon was offered anything that he wanted by God. God came to him in a dream and a vision, told Solomon, anything that you need, I will supply it. God offered him a, a multiple list of things that he could choose from, and Solomon chose wisdom. And because he chose wisdom, God blessed him with great wisdom, and he also gave him great wealth. As I said last week, we know this. If Solomon had put his wisdom in his heart instead of his head, he would have been the greatest man who ever lived. Solomon strayed from the words that God gave him, and we see great sin in his life later on as he gets older. But I want to share with you, first of all, is Solomon's word of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13, um, it says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. That's one proverb. But Proverbs 3.13 says this. 
Proverbs 13.3 is what I really uh, meant to, I'm sorry there. I have thrown everybody off this morning. Proverbs 13.3 says this. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now think about that verse for just a minute. If we use wisdom in what we say, and if we look at what we say and we guard our mouths, we can preserve life. How many of you, when you were children and you were in elementary school, these were famous words that I used to hear. Children are to be seen and not heard. Do y'all still, are y'all allowed to use that in 2019 in elementary schools? I was told children are to be seen and not heard. And then when children were begin to, would begin to get loud and talk, and one of us would go, shh. Then I was told that you don't shush people, you shush chickens. I, I don't know if any of y'all are old enough to remember those things. But those are things that stick out in my head. I was told to be quiet, and then if I asked someone else to be quiet, I was gotten on to for asking someone to be quiet. But Solomon says here that if we can control what we say, that we can have life because of it. Having control over one's speech, so what is said is carefully considered for its possible effects. That's what Solomon is saying in that first part of verse number 13 there. We know this, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So basically, we should listen twice as much as we speak. Wouldn't that make sense to us? So we look at this verse, and then we look at the second part there in verse number 13, uh, uh, verse number 3. It says that he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Sometimes... We speak before we think. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Um, doing this, we blurt out words either hastily or maliciously without concern for the consequences. Have you ever been in that situation before where all of a sudden there's something that comes to mind and before you can think about it, you've already said it? And when you say it, it's like you wish that you could reach out there and grab those words and put them back in your mouth? But it's like squeezing toothpaste out of a, a tube. Once you get it out, it never goes back in. And so I have been in those situations a lot of times where immediately something would happen or something would be said, and I immediately would say something hastily or maliciously and didn't think about the consequences. And so I've had to do a lot of apologizing in my lifetime. Let me give you five practical things to help you uh, with Proverbs um, here, Proverbs 3, verse number 13. Let me give you five practical things to help you in case you find yourself where you said something hastily and had to um, regret it. First of all, apologies are hard to do, but it's important. When you apologize, you show that you have integrity. Colossians 3, verse number 13 says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all must also forgive. Now, 
if you find yourself in a place to where you have spoken angrily, you've spoken hastily, and you've said something that you know has hurt someone else, as fast as you can, apologize. As fast as you can, try to apologize and make it right. But what if someone else said something in anger to you? Here's some other things to consider. First of all, remember, nobody is perfect. Absolutely nobody is perfect. That person could be having a really bad day. They may be very tired. They may be very sick. They may be suffering from something that you can't see that made them lash out at you. Number three is this. Building a story from these words is a bad idea. When somebody speaks to you in anger, the worst thing that you can do is to speak back and say, well, you always do this or you never do this, or this is who you are. The worst thing that you can do is to build a story and try to turn things into a story about who the angry person is or how they behave. You make things worse for both of you. I read this this week. In a marriage, one negative incident takes five positive incidents, five positive things to erase that one negative thing. Men, you agree? You, you understand that? I'm 735 incidents away from making things right in my marriage. Here's some, uh, another, number four. Saying something hurtful back makes things worse. Every time you don't respond, you become the stronger person. And then number five is this. Responding with facts doesn't work. Facts never overcome anybody's anger they intensify their next negative response. So we see Solomon had a word of wisdom for us there that we should control our speech and that we should listen more and that we should be careful to know that our words have consequences. James has an admonition in James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. We read those verses together. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. It boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among staining the whole body, setting on the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The tongue... James describes the tongue in a way that we see right here that the tongue is so potent that both death and life are in its power. 
Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. We reap either death or life by what we say to other people. Now think about what you say and what you don't say are both very important to the Lord. We know through what James says here that the tongue is a window to the human heart. Jesus had something to say about this. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus speaks about our words. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 16 through 20, when he says these words to the group of people who are around him, He says, but um, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person in, in our lives. Listen, Jesus said this. He said, whatever you're speaking and whatever you're saying is what's really coming out of your heart. That's what is really down deep inside of you. James said the same things here in James uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. He says that if we could tame our tongue, that we could be perfect. Now, isn't that something to think? That if we could take this small instrument right here and we could tame it, that it would lead us to be able to be perfect. But he says that nobody could do that. He says we, can, we have subdued all the animals. We have subdued the earth. But this one instrument in our mouths is the one thing that we have no control over sometimes. And it causes us great harm and great trouble and causes other people to have great harm and great trouble. He absolutely, there in verse number two, he shoots down the notion that anyone could live and be in sinless perfection. He says that controlling the tongue is one of the keys to having a successful life. In the next few verses, in verses 3 through 5, James describes the tongue as the small part of the body that is capable of creating great disasters. When's the last time you heard a rumor? Probably this week. If you go to school or if you work somewhere, it doesn't matter really where you are, you can, somebody's going to tell you a rumor more than likely, whether you want to hear it or not. You hear rumors all the time. Let me tell you about a, a rumor that I read about. During the spread of the Black Plague in the 14th century, thousands of Jews were killed in response to rumors that Satan was protecting them from the plague in exchange for poisoning the wells of Christians. In 1321, in Guinea, France alone, an estimated 5,000 Jews were burned alive for supposedly burning whales. One rumor that was started, had to be started by one individual, led to 5,000 Jewish people being killed by something that was a falsehood. I've seen we live in a small town. We go to a small town church. Rumors in a, in a small town or rumors in a small town church like ours can pit people against each other, can divide people, and can cause all kind of things that are bad. Satan stands back, as somebody said in our Sunday school class this morning, when these things happen, Satan is standing back, and it is a part of his game plan is for words to come and to divide us and pit us against each other. 
James makes it very clear to us that words hurt. What's the greatest lie that you ever heard on the playground as a kid? It was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the greatest lie that you ever heard because what do we know now as we're adults? Words hurt. Words can hurt very bad. Something, I, I know people that things were said to them when they were children and they still have a hurt from that as they've grown up to be an adult. Here's a way to, to look at that. Before you say something, taste your words before you speak. Taste your words before you speak. Think about it this way. How would they, those words, if they were coming to you, how would they feel and how would they taste to you? And think about that before we say, say anything. The devil has a great role in speech. Think about this in his first appearance in Genesis chapter 3. What does he do? He uses a lie to cause the fall of all humanity. Satan comes uh, in the form of the serpent, and the Bible tells us that he was more cunning than all the other creatures there on the earth. And he comes to Eve, and he begins to talk to her, and he uses God's words. But what does he do with them? He twists them, and he changes them, and he tells her a lie. And because of Satan's lie there in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity will fall as a result. Jesus describes Satan this way in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are the father, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now think about this. Look at the two words there that Jesus uses. He calls Satan a murderer and a liar. Jesus puts, the, puts lying on the same level as he does murdering there. Because he knows, the, he knows the great depth of harm that can be done through a lie and through the tongue because he knows that Satan caused all of humanity to fall through a lie. You look at the uh, the word you look at the word devil, and it comes from a root word diabolos. Diabolos means slander or slanderer. Slander means to speak critically of another person with the intent to hurt. Revelation 12 and 10 describes Satan this way. It says the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before God. Now. What, what, what the writer there in Revelation is saying, he's, he's calling Satan, calling the devil. He's saying that the devil constantly is before God, and he is constantly accusing who? He's constantly accusing us. He's constantly slandering us. He's constantly using words against us to try to, to, try to make us not have favor in the eyes of God. So it goes to say that when we gossip and when we slander is the place where we are most imitating Satan. When we gossip and when we slander another individual, we are taking on the character of Satan who is before God accusing us and slandering us day and night. Now, 
all these things that James says here about how words are twisted and words can be hurtful and words can be harmful and slander and all these things. One of the worst places where the devil is still so much at work today is in, is in the church in America, but not in the pew, but in the pulpit. In the pulpit, people taking God's word and taking the truth of God's word and watering it down and turning it a little bit and twisting it a little bit just so that they can be popular and so that their church can be popular. Now, that happens in our nation and in the Western Hemisphere. So many, so many thousands of churches this morning, people will stand behind a pulpit and they will give just a little, just enough of Scripture to make it look like a sermon or to make it look, sound like church. And the rest of it will be something where they want to make everyone feel good, pat, them on, pat their own selves on the back, and go home and talk about, uh, about how wonderful it was and how good it was so that it's popular. Now, I want to say this. If you leave church, if you sit on a pew for years and you're never offended by what's said from the Bible, there's something wrong with what's being preached. There's something wrong with what's being preached. I listen to sermons a lot. I listen to a lot of sermons. And I'm going to tell you as a minister, as a, as a professing minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a lot of times those sermons, there are things that are said in there that that get deep in my heart and cause me to look at my own life. It caused conviction in me and caused me to seek God and change. I don't want to be a part of something where every week I leave feeling good about myself. Now, a lot of times we should leave feeling good about ourselves. We should be uplifted. But sometimes God's Word is going to get into our hearts and it's going to penetrate, and it's going to tell us we need to change. And I hope, I hope that God would send more and more people who would preach that way and who wouldn't worry about being popular and who would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what our nation needs. That's what the world needs. We need the truth of, of, of Jesus Christ. I've been told by... Uh, students of mine who've grown on and, and went to other churches and who have been a part of big experiences and, and then, uh, you know, the church that they attend, and then they'll go to a small group, and in that small group they will be told that the gospel, that, that outside the New Testament there, um, the letters of Paul, we really, that this is what one of my students was told, we really don't know if those letters are accurate. We really don't know if those letters are really what we, we and one of, them was, one of them was told this, have you ever seen those letters? That's what they were asked. Taking and saying, you know, hey, the Bible, you know, we, we have all this compiled, but maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there's some of it we can overlook. And maybe there's some of it that just, I, I've had this told to me. People being told, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. Times have changed. Morals have changed. People have changed. And, you know, we, that really doesn't apply to us today. That's one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard. 
from, from a minister or from a, from a church or from anybody representing a church, it's one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard. Because God, what, what did Jesus say? Not one bit of it would be changed. God's word would stand forever, and not one part of it would ever change. And it applies to our lives today just as it did when it was penned, because it was penned under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, and we can't ignore it. James compares the damage the tongue can do to a raging fire. He does this because he knows the tongue's wickedness has its source from hell itself, from Satan. The uncontrolled tongue can do terrible things, and Satan uses the tongue to divide people and pit them against one another. Idle and hateful words are damaging because they spread destruction quickly, and no one can stop the results once they are spoken. You ever lit a fire this time of year outside? I, I can promise you, you go home and you and don't do this. I'm just using this as an illustration. Don't go home and any of you kids and say, well, the preacher said to do this. You ever set grass on, uh, uh, weeds on fire this time of year? By the time that you set that match to it, where's it going? It's out of control. It's going way before, way past where you can get it. There were some kids in a youth group one time that uh, rode my house really good. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to pick all this up. I'll just set it on fire. So I go out and I set it on fire. Well, I'm not looking real close, and the next thing I know, some of it has fallen into my shrub bed that is full of pine straw. And the next thing I know, that pine straw is headed toward the house, and so I'm trying to grab a hose pipe, and I'm trying to stomp and grab a hose pipe at the same time, and the next thing I know, I've got fire running up my pants leg. And, and every time I stomp, that fire goes further up my pants leg. And Bree comes out, and she says, that fire is spreading. And I said, yeah, it is. And she said, my, my walkway lights. <laughs> I'm on fire, and she's, want, she's wanting me to rescue her walkway lights. So I can tell you, fire will spread really fast, and we have to be careful because our words spread really fast. And our, what we say and what we do travel very fast. You can look at the chart that I provided you there with your uh, outline, and we see that when our speech is motivated by Satan, it is full of bitter jealousy, it is full of selfish ambition, it is full of earthly concerns and desires, it is full of unspiritual thoughts and ideas, disorder and evil. When our speech is motivated by God and his wisdom, it is full of purity, peace, consideration for others, submission, mercy, sincerity, impartiality, and goodness. Those are the things that mark our speech, and we can see where it's coming from. Before we say something, think about this. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it helpful? But here's what is the wonderful thing, is that words can heal. Proverbs 10 and 20 says this, the tongue of the righteous is pure silver. Proverbs 12 and 18 says the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15 and 14 says, The tongue that heals is a tree of life. James chapter 3 and verse 8, James talks about the fact that no one can control their tongue. He says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
So if no human can tame the tongue, why even bother trying? Even though we may not achieve perfect control of our tongues, the Holy Spirit will help us learn self-control. The Holy Spirit will help us learn self-control. Now, how does that happen? It happens this way. It happens through submission. It happens through me saying, God, I have no control over this. I have, I have no control sometimes over what I say angrily or what I, what I may say that may hurt or harm. And it takes this. It takes me saying this to, to God the Father. God, I want to submit my mind. And I want to submit my heart to you. And I want your Holy Spirit to have control of my thoughts and my actions because most of what, what happens with our thoughts most of the time, they become actions. And so I have to say to the Holy, I have to say to the Holy Spirit, I need you to take control of my mind and I need you to take control of my heart completely because there's no telling what kind of a wreck I'll make out of things if you don't. And listen, let me warn you this. When you pray a prayer like that, guess what's going to happen? God's going to put you in a situation where he tests you. God's going to put you in a situation where somebody's going to say something about you or somebody's going to say something about the church, and the first reaction you're going to have is, I want to set them straight and I want to tell them off. And guess what you have to remember? Lord, I told you that I was going to watch what I say and I was going to watch how I said it, and I want you to uh, confirm with me that you have control of this by helping me have self-control because if I, if I lash out at that person who said something about me or said something about the church, then I'm just going to make it much worse than what it is. And then it spreads like wildfire. And it's not just contained to me and it's not just contained to the church. But where does it go, Piedmont people? It goes all over town. And the next thing you know, everybody's talking about what's going on at the church. And so I have to ask the Lord, and we have to ask the Lord. We have to submit our minds, and we have to submit our hearts, and in that, ask the Holy Spirit to help us have self-control over what we say and how we say it. Remember, we are not fighting the tongue's fire in our own strength. The Holy Spirit gives us increasing power to monitor and control what we say so that when we are offended, the Spirit will remind us of God's love and we won't react in a hateful manner. When we are criticized, the Holy Spirit will heal the hurt and help us not lash out. Sometimes words hurt, but the Holy Spirit will heal that hurt. When we submit to the Holy Spirit and we give the Holy Spirit control over what we say and what, how we say it, then the Holy Spirit, when things are said about us that are hateful or things that are said about us that may not be true or things that are said about us that are slanderous, then the Holy Spirit who we've submitted to and given our mind and our heart over to, that same Holy Spirit, he will come and he will heal us quickly of those things. Things that were said this week that normally I would have just immediately just have had an angry response to, all of a sudden, there was this, this flood of calm over me and an ability to respond in a Christ-like manner 
and an ability to respond in a way that didn't cause anger on the behalf of, the, of, of another person. All because I want to say, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about me. What I'm saying is all of us have the ability to give those instruments over to the Holy Spirit and have him to be able to control our thoughts and our actions and our speech. And it's a much better way to live. Look at verses 9 through 12 here with me as we close. James continued to talk about the tongue. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Here's what happens when our speech is contradictory. It puzzles us, and it puzzles those around us who know that we are believers. Sometimes our words are right and pleasing to God, and then at other times they are violent and destructive. Which of these speech patterns reflect who we really are? We are made in God's image, but the tongue gives us a picture of our basic sinful nature. I'm made in the image of God, but this little instrument in my mouth can remind me that I was born with a sinful nature and that sometimes that sinful nature comes out through what's in my heart that comes out through my mouth. We sometimes, um, we sometimes will say that we, uh, we will bless God and we, we will praise God and with the same lip we will curse his creation, other people. God works to change us from the inside out. When the Holy Spirit purifies a heart, he gives us self-control so that we will speak words that please God. I want us to pray this morning, and I want us to, to ask the Lord to help us this week to help us, our words, to not contradict who we say we are in Christ. I want us to pray this week, and, and I want us to pray this morning, and I want us to ask the Lord to give us the ability to understand that our words hurt, but our, our words can also heal. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can help others to heal through the words that we use to pray with them and to help them. I want us to understand through James has said here that when we gossip and when we slander, we are most imitating the devil during that moment when we do that. Because the devil is constantly before God gossiping and slandering about you. And when we choose to gossip and slander, we're imitating Satan. But when we choose not to, and when we choose to our words to use them to heal and to help, we are, more, we are no more like Christ than when we do that. Because we see so many opportunities throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, where Jesus went about, and the Bible says he went about doing good, and a lot of that doing good was taking people who were cast out, taking people who were rejected, taking people who no one else had any favor with, and taking those people and healing them, not only with his powerful healing physical power, but through the words that gave them life. 
The greatest thing that we can do with our tongue is to tell someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you, as we pray this morning, and as we pray that our, our words and our speech would reflect the Lord in everything we do, I also want you to pray this prayer this morning. I want you to pray that God will put somebody in your path this week, before next Sunday, that you will have the opportunity to share your faith with and to tell them how they can have eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pray that. Because what we need to do more than anything else with our mouths is to tell other people about Jesus. And as we pray and we submit to God and we give, uh, the, give these things over to him, I promise you it's going to be easier to do that from a mouth that is praising the Lord than it is from a mouth that's gossiping or slandering. Pray for opportunities that God may give you to put people in your path and to be able to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to ask Darren to come this morning. We're going to close this way. If I don't fall, I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray these two things as believers. I want us to pray, number one, I want you to pray with me this morning and ask God. I want us to submit our minds and our hearts to the Holy Spirit and to understand that when we do, we're going to have more self-control over what we say, how we say it, and it's going to cause us to have life from our tongue instead of having the poison of death from our tongue. And number two, I want you to pray this. I want you to pray as a believer that as you do that, that God will put people in your path this week, that he will put at least one person in your path this week who needs to know about the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who needs to know forgiveness of their sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and who needs to, that you will have the ability through the Holy Spirit to share that with them, and that you will be able to do so from a mouth that is giving life throughout the week. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father, I ask you this morning to bless this time.